Good day to all our listeners and welcome to the Temba Tandega Leadership Institute podcast, specialists in organizational behavior. In this podcast, we discuss leadership and staff engagement and how organizations can improve on both. It is simple economics. If leaders focus on staff engagement, their people stick around in their organization. If they stick around, they build better relationships with customers and provide a superior service. This leads to satisfied customers who become repeat customers and advocates for your business, which leads to exponential growth and profitability. If you want to increase profitability through staff engagement, stick around and listen to this podcast. We will focus on themes from Herman Duplessis' book titled Lead with Intent. Herman is the founder and director of TTLI. Links of where you can buy the book are available in the description area of this podcast. Good day, everybody. Today we are at the offices of Meta Investments in Rosebank, and I have the privilege to have with me Taryn Marcus. Uh, Taryn, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> Taryn is the Group HR Executive for Meta since 2021, 2021. And prior to that, she was the Vice President of HR at NTT, leading the HR team servicing the Digital Office and Global Business Services Division. Um, Taryn has a, a very proud track record in the HR space. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with all of that, but if you Google her, you'll find all of that. Um, but an interesting story about Taryn is when I uh, mentioned her name to one of the business professors I teach an MBA program with, he spoke very highly of you, Thank you. and the impact you've made in the HR space in South Africa, which is incredible, and particularly the work you did at Imperial. A lot of people speak very highly about that. Just your educational background, you have a BA in HR, which you passed cum laude, uh, when you walked into the room, I could see your notes are well prepared and you're a self-confessed um, nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then um, you did an MA in industrial psychology. You also have a professional affiliation uh, in industrial psychology. Uh, you're a thought leader and you're also registered at the HPCSA. Taryn is married, two sons, Joseph and Gabriel, beautiful names, and an avid gym goer and a foodie. And we've spoken about that, <laughs> which is great. So Taryn, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's wonderful to have you with us today. Uh, and uh, I look forward to the conversation. Me too. So Taryn, tell us more about Mete and the business you guys are in. Um, so, uh, not many people know who METER um, are. Uh, in fact, we are 75 years strong uh, this year, uh, which is an achievement in and of itself in today's day and Saw age. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're a listed company uh, on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Uh, we have um, global operations um, in Kenya, Romania, Turkey, um, and then in and around uh, South Africa. Um, but we are in uh, manufacturing automotive components. So we split ourselves in terms of um, an energy vertical, so batteries, um, and uh, automotive components. So things like car harnesses, car lights, um, uh, copper wires that go into, um, into cars, uh, etc. Um, but we are uh, 15 entities um, that wow. are underneath our umbrella. 
And very few people know that, hey, yeah. which is incredible. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I first heard about the company through Brunt. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when he explained to me uh, what the company did, it was just remarkable. Mm -hmm. And then factories all over the world, which is just incredible. So, I mean, how's the company currently doing? I mean, just overall, where does the business finds itself currently? Um, so, in fact, we've actually just released our, um, our annual uh, report um, and our results are, are now out in the open. Um, but, you know, we've had um, some significant challenges over the last year, like many, um, including being impacted by the floods, uh, you know, with Toyota um, having to shut their doors um, because of what happened in KZN. Uh, we've had strikes, um, hyperinflation in Turkey, um, and um, I think what's really positive is that we dealt with all of that while gearing up um, to support a, a customer's new model launch. So I think that, um, as you'll see from our results, um, there were certainly challenges, um, but our revenue increased by 10% to $14 billion. Um, so I think it's kind of one of... Uh, not shying away from, from the hardship, but there's also a, a, a story of hope um, yeah. in terms of the future. Yeah. And I mean, I think what inspires me about Meti is just the amount of jobs you've created in mm. South Africa, mm. you know, and the factory in KZN. Mm. And I've heard beautiful stories about that. Yeah, you it's, know. it's So amazing. what is that, 5,000 women? Uh, yeah, so so um, it's actually um, Hesto Harnesses. Um, so Hesto has grown from about 3,500 people to uh, 9,500 people over the last um, sure, almost uh, 18 months now. Um, and 80% uh, all-female workforce um, in Stanger, so a kind of remote location um, in Kwadukusa. So um, we we are, um, you know, not only creating jobs, but we're creating um, communities that now all thrive from from our business. Um, so it's been a really um, incredible success story. Um, and um, yeah, this year will all the hard labor will really come into mm -hmm. into fruition. Yeah, wonderful. I read an article two weeks ago that um, if if you create a new job in South Africa, there's on average seven dependents depending on that job. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just incredible if you do the math. It's yeah. 5,000 new jobs. Uh, you know, that's 35,000 lives impacted, which yeah. is incredible. And I think also more importantly is that what we find is that when you when you empower women, they truly do empower their community. They do. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, not to be critical of, of, of men, but unfortunately the stats, not only in South Africa, but we see it um, in some of the kind of cases you see in India as an example, is that, you know, often often the monies goes to, to alcohol and to, to things that don't necessarily provide for the family or the community. Whereas when you empower women, that's exactly where it does go you know the women know that what food needs to be put on the table there's kids yeah. education that needs to ultimately happen and I think for us what's really exciting is that it's also a young workforce so for many of these women this is their first job um, wow. and we've been able to take them straight out of um, uh, matric um, and actually upskill them so this is not um, necessarily we obviously do need um, highly skilled engineers um, and a technical workforce but we're able to actually um, through our training methodology teach people who've got absolutely no work experience um, and give them gainful um, employment and whether we become the stepping stone for them to kind of grow their career within our operations or at least give them the experience so that they can um, apply for work in other um, companies um, it's it really is a success story we really are proud of it wonderful that's great 
So, Taryn, thank you for reading my book, Lead With Intent. I was going to say, thank you, Brad. <laughs> I, hope, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm afraid to ask the next question, but I will. What's your impression been of the book? Um, so I think, um, uh, and uh, as I mentioned, so so Brunt was our past chairman at, at MetAir, and um, he actually left just before I joined. Um, but when I met him, one of the first things he said was, hello, I'm Brunt, and here's a book you need to read. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, for anybody who, who's in HR or in a leadership role, we often are given a lot of books to say, oh, you know, you must read this, or have you seen this? And um, so I took it, um, and um, I, I, by my own admission, will often have a pile of books next to my bed because, you know, schedules get so busy um, that you kind of wait for the first holiday to take that pile with you, and then you can actually sit and read through yeah. it. Um, but I think for me, um, and for those of you who haven't read the book yet, um, is that what I really enjoyed about it was that I didn't have to wait for that holiday. You know, it wasn't like some of... Um, these other leadership books that you come across where you almost feel like you have to sit down for a thesis reading where you kind of go, get a stiff drink out, let me sit down and me really focus. Um, because the book is, is really split into such, um, a, I'll say, well-structured headings that, you know, I kind of read the introduction and went, geez, you know, this is, this is interesting. Um, it's, and it's also kind of written in a way that is, I want to say lighter reading. You're yeah. not, you know, you, you kind of have that balance between the theory. No and alcohol the, needed. No alcohol <laughs> needed. That maybe just for enjoyment. Um, but I think that what I really then enjoyed is that because the the, the principles are then written out, is that I, I realized that I didn't necessarily need to read it in a sequential mm. manner. And so I went, you know, actually there's one or two things that I'm kind of pondering in my own mind. Let me jump to that chapter first, okay. and let me actually read that, and then I'll That's go it. back to somewhere else. And it it doesn't. Um, you don't read it in such a way that it's like, a, oh, geez, I'm sorry I didn't read the chapter before because now this, this chapter didn't make sense. So it became a really easy read because right. I could kind of go, well, I can get through two chapters now and in two days' time, actually, let me go somewhere else and then kind of go back. So yeah. um, I, it was really enjoyable from that point wonderful, of view. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll give you some commission on the sales from this <laughs> podcast. Um, so uh, today we're talking about Chapter 8, Authenticity is the Principle. The practice of reflection and the impact on your culture is awareness. Um, so <clears throat> I think my first question is, I mean, authenticity, what does that mean to you? How do you view authenticity? So um, I think, you know, when I was reflecting on the on the question, um, it actually took me back to probably my first, my first year of working. Um, so at the time, um, I was on a, a graduate program, so it was, or a young talent program, depending on what you call it in your environment. Um, and we were asked to do a whole um, set of different assessments. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of these assessments are insightful, others less so. Um, but one of the ones, and um, I actually I was trying to think last night what it was actually called, but I couldn't remember. But how, how they explained it basically was around different personas and at the time they referred to it as masks and I thought I'm careful to use the word mask because I think we all have kind of PTSD post-COVID <laughs> but if I call it different we all wear different masks yeah. um, 
But I think for me, one of the, the reflections I had was that at the time when we were sitting in a room of young graduates and people were, talk, were speaking about, oh, you know, you have this, let's maybe call it a personality when you come to work and you have that personality when you are at home. And actually, you know, why is there a discrepancy and what does that mean? And in that room, I was the only person who the mask that was coming to the office was the same as the mask that was being um, at, the, at, at home. Um, and at the time, um, you know, I think my initial reaction was, well, gee, so why am I different to everybody else? Um, and actually, is this, this is maybe a bad thing um, because it was, a, are you now being more, ex are you exposing yourself more because you, you can't create different personas and so then you open yourself up to a risk um, and I think for a long time I really did have this perception that I needed to um, be someone who I, I want to say be different um, to who I was at home um, and after a while I started realizing that it wasn't something that I found natural um, and so I suddenly realized that well you know people can either accept that the kind of the version you get at the office is going to be if you go out with me for a drink is going to who you're going to find it at the bar um, or, or, or not and it's actually more about them than it is about me um, and I think that there were certain things that I needed to realize it was less about personality as it was around reading the context better in what context do you need to behave in a more professional manner in what context is it better for like you to that. kind of be um, maybe more personal yeah. sharing and so I think when I started mm. thinking about the what's the context I find myself in and therefore how do I want to show up in that context mm. it helped me kind of better understand what authenticity meant um, as opposed to uh, um, I think you in your book you describe it as kind of an oversharer yeah um, and I think that for me is how <laughs> I managed to find that balance okay I mean, it's, uh, I read an article the other day about authenticity and the author spoke about a, a static authenticity and a dynamic authenticity. And what I liked about it, a lot of people think authenticity means consistency. And to an extent it does, but, you know, he speaks about your anchor, you know, and sometimes you have to lift your anchor and just drift, learn new things, understand things in a new way and then form new opinions. Mm -hmm. And then you're authentic about those mm -hmm. Um, but I like the way you explained it regarding contexts. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. So thank you for that. Sure. Uh, I really enjoyed that. So um, why do you think authenticity is important in business? Um, look, I think at the end of the day, it's all about establishing interpersonal relationships. Yes. Um, and so I think that um, leaders... I'd like to believe at their core would like people to do things not because they are told to do so, so that autocratic, you know, I'm, I'm the head of the hierarchy and so you, therefore you'll do, as it is around people trust that when you are asking for something or you're asking for input, it's because there's a genuine interest in either your opinion or what you can add, um, or that the, the ask is to achieve the right outcome for the benefit of everybody. So I think that, um, you know, you need authenticity in order to get work done, or rather to get work done in a meaningful way. Um, because I mean, you know, and we we're talking about it before we started the podcast, which is around, we want to be able to create meaningful conversations, meaningful work. And it also starts with having meaningful relationships. You yes. know, we all know we spend the majority of our wake hours with work colleagues in many instances and so if you're waking up every day to be surrounded by people you don't like you know you're, you're at your 
at your core, you're not going to wake up happy every day and kind of excited to kind of put your, you know, your work shoes on and get to the office. So mm-hmm. I think for me, that's that's um, a lot of, it's not the only thing, but it is a lot of what makes for, um, you know, meaningful work getting done. Okay. So, I mean, you've, uh, you've only been here for slightly over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this might be a tough question, but how are you helping um, leaders and managers in Metair to lead more authentically? Um, it's a journey. Um, I think that um, it goes without saying, and I know it's the, a buzzword perhaps, but, you know, it's around, one, an understanding that you have to create psychological trust. Um, because, you know, if we talk about the masks I was referring to earlier on, it's that am I prepared to drop the mask if I think that I'm actually going to be in a worse out- outcome if I kind of allow my um, true thoughts or my true feelings or my, my true opinions um, out. Mm. So I think it's around um, creating an environment where, where we um, can trust that what, whatever conversations take place are, are um, coming from a place of, of good as opposed to a, a kind of um, trying to get a one-upmanship on, on someone else. Mm. Um, but I think more importantly is that, you know, for me the way of establishing psychological trust is to actually take the time to really get to know the person sitting across the way from you. Mm. So from a, a people perspective, you know, um, if we kind of use the traditional view of, of talent management, you know, yes, it's an important process. Yes, succession planning is an important process. But actually, it's more around having a meaningful conversation around what are your ambitions? What are your aspirations? And actually, you don't have to limit your thinking to the confines of our context, you know, um, maybe your kind of ultimate ambition is to become a professor one day. Well, that's great. We may not necessarily need a professor in our environment, Mm -hmm. but what are the things that we can equip you with now that we can maybe help you become a mentor to our young talent so that we start teaching you and you start, you know, developing your um, professor skill set, so to speak, and we benefit it. And at some point we acknowledge that you'll leave. Mm -hmm. So I think if we we kind of, um, and I was very fortunate to be mentored um, by Mark Lamberti for many years while I was at Imperial, but his view was always around, you know, we are, um, we're here to create leaders leaders for the future, not Mm -hmm. leaders for Imperial, leaders for a better South Africa, for a better Mm. world. And the moment you can shift your mindset beyond Mm. just the confines of what you've got, people suddenly realize that they can dream beyond Mm. But that's an abundance mentality. Of course. You know, because a lot of companies feel, we don't want to develop these guys and then they leave, you know. Mm. Uh, Whereas I like that approach, you know. There's enough leaders to go around. Let's just keep developing them and let's have a bigger vision or just a bigger purpose. Because that's the meaning we spoke about earlier as well. Mm. But if it's just about this context all the time, um, that could hamper my authenticity. Mm. Mm. No, absolutely. Because, well, look, I mean, let's talk succession. You know, people are, are perhaps more reluctant to say, you know, this person I see as having the, the kind of potential who could take the business forward if they don't know where they're going. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's, it is a succession is a top-down activity because if I know where I'm going, if I know I'm cared for, if I know that someone has an interest in where my career is going, I have more interest in actually developing the next generation because I know what's the plan for me. So so I think that, um, you know, if, we, if we're... Um, having those types of honest and frequent conversations around where you're going with your career and what are you doing then to make sure the next generation is ready to 
take over so that we can move you to the next opportunity, then it's easy. And then it does that own self-fulfilling prophecy, right? They are then creating those uh, abundance of leaders beneath them and so on and so mm. forth. And it cascades all the way down in yeah. the organization. Lovely. That's great. Um, personal time for reflection. How do you do that? How do you make time? Because um, one of the first things we try and teach leaders is to reflect. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of times leaders don't know how to reflect. So we actually give them a set of questions they can use to help them to reflect. So how do you practice that in, in terms of, uh, you know, as an individual? Um, <clears throat> so I was very privileged um, after I had uh, my my first son. Um, I had a, a leader at the time who um, supposed it was a double-edged sword in a way, but um, someone in our team had resigned and they made a decision to combine um, two of the departments. And whilst I was on maternity leave, she said to me, when you come back, don't you want to take on the uh, dual responsibility? We think you're ready for it. And um, I came back having had um, my first child. And I think as a a woman, people think, or well, my experience has been is that many women come back thinking that they've got to still be the kind of worker bee they were before they had kids, not realizing that they've taken on all these additional responsibilities. Um, and I came back and I think my, my, my line manager at the time, I think, saw I was a bit of a deer in the headlights um, and said to me, you know what, I'm going to put a, a coach in place for you. I think you need someone who can just help you with this transition, not only to take on more responsibility at work, but also balance it between um, what was going on at home and the life coach that I've um, worked with now for for um, almost uh, 12 years now um, uh, Claire actually uh, we spoke about the you know how do you carve out that time for yourself and how does it help ground you um, and um, I now have a kind of a self-reflection daily practice there's seven questions um, it's actually I laugh because again as you saw in the as you said in the beginning I am a nerd it's in my diary so at you know it goes off just after I drop the kids off at school in the morning it's seven questions and you know I kind of have I whip through them it literally takes me 15 minutes in my life while I'm driving to the office and it's questions like you know what can I do that will make my, my day better today? You know, who loves me? Um, you know, what can I do? What am I grateful for? So it's just really a, a set of key questions that every day just helps put things into um, perspective. Um, but I think that COVID um, made me then, I want to say, reflect even further, which was how do I help my family in this crazy time to also pause um, and reflect? And so um, I then, um, with the support of my husband, actually introduced a weekly practice um, that we do as a family now. Um, so every Friday evening, um, we all stop and we pause and we go around. Um, so I'm Jewish. We yeah. light the Sabbath candles and we all go around after the prayers and we talk about what's the one thing you've been grateful for for this week. And my kids can sometimes give me six. Sometimes they can give me one, like I'm grateful I didn't murder my, my <laughs> brother today, you know. Grateful that too. It's good. <laughs> Take what I can get, um, but it's uh, it made me realize that actually, if we don't start teaching it in our kids at a young age around gratitude and and pausing to mm. reflect, is that uh, as they become adults and workers one day themselves, is that we may not necessarily have equipped them to manage with the busyness of our of our lives. So yeah. so that's kind of how how we've brought it into yeah. our family. Yeah. So Carl Jung, famous psychologist, said, "Harry is not from the devil. Harry is the devil." Mm it robs you of so much if you're just running from here to there and you never make time to reflect mm. 
Um, and uh, I mean, I, I mentioned the one study in the book as well. You know, people, uh, 50 people over the age of 95, if they could do one, more, if they could live again, what's the one thing they would do more of? Mm. And the number one answer was reflection. Because mm. the older you get, the more time you have for reflection. But mm. that's when you realize the value. And if only you made time in your younger years. You know, John Maxwell says humanity really finds new ways to fail because the old ways are serving us well. Yeah. And I see that a lot with leaders as they repeat the same mistakes over and over because they never stop to reflect and learn. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I know there's a Catholic practice called the examen as well. So at the end of the day, sitting down, just examining your day and figuring out, you know, where did it go well? Where did it not go well? And I love your questions, by the way, you know, who loves me? Because I think that keeps you grounded mm. just with the reality. You know, mm. don't take whatever I do here at my work mm. too seriously. Because mm. <laughs> I think we do get carried away. Mm. Uh, so... Um, Maybe one day you'll share those seven questions yeah. with us. No or we'll have to pay your life coach to get them. <laughs> <laughs> sure, she won't, let, she won't mind me sharing. <laughs> right. So um, is reflection important in your business? And how does that manifest in business? So I think how, to the point you were talking about, the, the, the hurriedness, right? Mm. Which is, you know, I think we, we often... Um, value our contribution perhaps by the number of meetings we're in right like geez i've added a lot of value yeah. today i was in back-to-back -back meetings um but i think what um we've started here at at met air which is a process of of um i want to say not uh spans of control in its traditional sense but it's that realization of we actually need to start um, pushing decision-making deeper in the organization because if we do that, it frees capacity up for our senior leaders to make decisions at the right levels, which should be fewer and more impactful with kind of longer-term impact. But we've then created that time for them to actually sit down and reflect on you know, what do we need to do for the organization, mm. not how do I spend my time working in the organization? Um, and it's not easy. I mean, Meteor is made up of a majority of engineers. Engineers pride themselves as being doers because that's what they're trained to do. So how do we now um, give thought to how we need to institute different types of um, leadership practices to teach um, our leaders to be thinkers and not doers, to be spending 60% of their time leading and 40% actually working on things. Um, but that's highly entrepreneurial, isn't it? Sure. Because, I mean, I mean for, for me as a small business owner and a lot of small businesses I work with, the challenge is to work less in the business and more on the business. So, I mean, you guys are, are massive. And, I mean, to have that level of thinking, I mean, that's, I don't think a lot of corporates do that. Uh, look, I, I don't think we're we're perfect. Um, I think that um, you know we're as a leadership team starting to have these conversations around realizing how important it is to be um, pausing, to thinking, to actually bring us together as a um, a group of leaders. Because um, you know, for those who go and Google who Metair is, is that because we're made up of you know a multitude of organisations, um, we're not one single value chain where we're all getting together for leadership meetings and saying, okay, well you do your part for procurement and I'll do mine for marketing, etc. Mm -hmm. When we come together from a Metair perspective as a group of leaders, you've got. 15 CEOs all sitting in a room talking about what is the future for an organization. So how do we help them think 
um, we, how I've started referring to it is that we have to get them to think about the horizontal. So when they come into the room, we are wearing the meta hat. So I think about mm. the world in the horizontal, not about what's right for my silo, my vertical, my, my business as an individual, but actually, you know, what is right for us as a collective? And and it's um, it's a shift. It's a, it's a, a new way of doing things. We haven't had um, that opportunity perhaps in the past to come together and really give ourselves a whole day of having those kind of conversations, maybe with a less structured agenda, because um, there is time to obviously look at the operations and the finance. That's important. We don't get away from that. But how do we just carve that time up to just have meaningful conversations and follow wherever we need to go based on whatever topic gets brought into the room? So so it's a, it's a we're on a journey. Yeah. But that's great. I think that's a... That's a great journey to be on. So why is awareness important in the business and um, why is it important for people to live with awareness? I suppose it's again similar to what you were saying now, right? Which is that you, you don't want to repeat your history. Mm-hmm. Or if you are repeating it, it's because you know you realize that there may be a better way of doing things that if you had given yourself that time for reflection, you would have maybe tried something slightly differently, um, etc. But I think... Um, awareness for me is also if you um, and again in in the chapter you talk of the jahari window right Mm -hmm. which is that whole thing around shifting yourself from being um, you know incompetent and unconscious to being conscious and competent Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that um, you know if you if you make the time to become more aware you create more of that opportunity to become conscious and competent Um, and I think that um, uh, again, I'll bring Mark up again because it, it's what's just come to mind is that Mark used to have a statue on his um, on his desk of, of a man fishing, and it was that whole thing around you know teaching a man to fish mm-hmm. and he'll he'll eat for you know forever. Um, and um, I think that that's what awareness ultimately helps you do. It's to help you become aware of the the skills you have, the skills you lack, and then being aware of what others offer and what others can bring um, so that collectively you are uh, more successful as a team than you would be if you kind of just took it all on your on yourself to be responsible for everything. So I think um, awareness is important and I often think that that's where um, consulting firms um, like an, an Accenture also do it really well is that at the end of every project they've got to complete those logbooks and, and yep. there's knowledge management around mm. How did the project go? What did we learn? You know, what are the tools that we've created so that the next kind of project team that comes along has some way to start off with and go, actually, does this serve our purpose? What is our context? Actually, could we kind of leverage off of this? What do we need to recreate? So I think it's it's affording those pause moments to learn. So we help our clients, and I love that, we, we help our clients to write memoirs. So if they're done with a project, write a memoir, what worked great, you know, what are things that work, but, you know, we need to think about it and what are the things we're just going to avoid next time, yeah. you know. So it's just making the time to, and it's it's not a long 50-page report. You know, it's five or six pages mm-hmm. of just what are the big elements that we, you know, learned, that worked, that, you know, this mm-hmm. is what we wonder about mm-hmm. and these are the things we'll try and avoid next time. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people run into the next project and they just make the same mistakes. <clears throat> but if you just read the memoir, it just gives you that awareness again. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe journaling helps with that. Yeah. You know, so I mean, if you've got your questions written down and you answer them every day, every now and then just looking back in your journal, looking, 
as we always give leaders journals because we we teach them to write it also gives them enough time to think because write slow writing slows everything down um because uh, I just see too many leaders just, you know, getting caught up in the same cycle over mm. and over and over again. If mm. they just find a way to reflect, to have, because awareness is reality. And this is what's really going on <laughs> objectively, yeah. which I think is important. And it's an incredible skill in and of itself, right, journaling. And I think it's it's not just around the, the memoir, but actually how does that then play out in terms of your own business writing skills, mm. you know? Um, so I think it's an incredible gift you give people yeah. by teaching them those types yeah. of skills. Yeah. Okay. I think we're done with most of our questions. I think any final thoughts from you, Taryn? Uh, things that you think could be helpful to our listeners? Um. I think um, I want to say like don't don't be fearful of I want to say maybe embracing your weirdness <laughs> because I think that's often what people kind of worry about like you know if I if I if I truly express the a version of myself or people think I'm weird um, and I think that um, if we if we embrace ourselves and we like ourselves for who we are then your ability to kind of show up. Um, authentically um, becomes more possible. Um, but I think that that starts from a South African perspective to truly start living what diversity and inclusion is really all about, um, which is not just about, um, you know, being acknowledged because I look different or I, I have different, um, uh, you know, thoughts and ideas, but actually I'm here because I feel I belong here and mm. I'm, I'm welcomed for who I am with my imperfections. Mm. Um, so I think so I don't have to fit in. I truly belong just as I am. Yeah. You know? And I think if people feel that, they're more open to feedback. Because mm. if, if there are some challenges then in your behavior, mm. you know, if I know I belong and I get that feedback, I know it's because people care because mm. they allowed me to belong. Absolutely. And perhaps isn't that the learning? You know, it's not about only teaching people to fish that it's actually teaching people to seek out feedback. Because yeah. you're, I always say to people, um, your leaders are only as good as you um, feedback to them to be. Yes. Otherwise, they walk around, um, uh, what's that lovely um, fable around the emperor's um, new clothing? Yes. That, you know, you're speaking truth to power. Mm. People are terrified to actually say, well, you know, you're actually walking around naked. Those mm. clothes don't <laughs> exist. And, you know, your leader walks around thinking they're so wonderful and so brilliant. But if they had given open to feedback mm. someone would have told them actually you're really making a fool of yourself yes. and actually they could be an, a better leader which makes you happier because you're being led by someone who's better and you mm. feel that your opinion actually matters yeah. um, so I think that's and a gift. I think your earlier point of psychological trust and psychological safety is how do we create that space so that people feel they are allowed to give honest feedback mm. to their leaders. Mm. Um, and I think, I think that's why you know, the, the book is well structured, but in a way we, we subdivide to understand, but all of these principles are integrated in a way. Mm. Um, and I think maybe that's a big lesson when it comes to authenticity as well for leaders, is if you want to be more authentic and you want to be more aware, make it easy for people mm. to tell you the truth. Mm. Uh, don't shoot the messenger if you don't like the message because yeah. then they're just going to stop telling you yeah. or they're just going to tell you what you want to hear yeah. and not what you need to hear. Agreed.
Taryn, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Tomorrow. And uh, yeah, we wish you all the best here at Mete. Thank you. Uh, and we know you're going to do great. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Temba Tendega Leadership Institute podcast, Specialists in Organizational Behavior. In this podcast, we discuss leadership and staff engagement and how organizations can improve If you need more information to assist you with staff engagement and leadership, please visit our website at www.ttli.co.za or email us at office at ttli.co.za. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Would you like to stand a chance to win a copy of Herman's book titled Lead with Intent? then please share and like this podcast on your social media platforms. We will contact the winners when the competition ends.